Okay, well, we're returning to Mark's Gospel in chapter 9. We're going to pick up from where we finished this morning from verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? he asked. Man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He firms at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. And uh, the authorised version adds, and fasting. It's old fashioned, but uh, it's a good truth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, please help us as we look at these verses again tonight. We realise that we all have much to learn about prayer and we realise that we face so many different situations and discerning what is going on in different situations in people's lives we need so much your help. We don't want to make false conclusions. But we do pray that you would equip us to be able to bring through your word and through your spirit the freedom that Lord Jesus you died that we might have. So Father, I just pray as we reflect that you would help us and I pray that you would help me 
as I seek to say a few things about these verses. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we talked about the mountaintop experience and uh, the great joy that it is to be able to see something wonderful from God, the power of God, the glory of God. But we know that we're not on the mountain all the time. We know that sometimes we have to come down into the valley and we have to face some realities which can be extremely challenging. And it's just interesting that uh, Jesus has been on the mountain and of course, as we said, it was a great personal time for him because he's got Peter and James and John there and it was part of their education, if you like, part of their discipleship. And Moses and Elijah are there and uh, we'll have to wait till we get to heaven to meet them. But uh, they were there at that moment of time. But uh, also there was the voice of the Father saying, this is my son. And I'm pleased with him. And for Jesus, we said in his humanity, that would have been extremely gratifying. And of course for those around, particularly Peter, James and John, if they were having doubts and questions, who is this Jesus that we've started to follow? Well, they certainly saw something different that day that underscored the reality that Jesus is indeed very, very special. But then they come down from the mountain, and that's the passage that we read. They come down, and uh, they hear a bit of a commotion, and there are people gathered around, and Jesus inquires as to, I suppose, what all the fuss is about, what's going on, and that's when this father, in a sense of great helplessness, says, I brought my son to your disciples, because there were three up the mountain, so there's still nine around. I brought my son to your disciples to get some help, to be able to be set free from this vile thing that overwhelms him and is destroying him. But they couldn't do anything. And we know that Jesus reacts. And uh, really Jesus is concerned about the lack of faith. And Jesus is very disturbed about this situation. This situation of apparent failure. This situation of the man being let down. And there is the challenge to him about his own faith. He says, if you can, please do something, Jesus. And Jesus, you read, says, well, it's a matter of faith. With faith, all things are possible. I think the first thing I want us to encourage and challenge us about is that we are able, by the grace of God, to have people come among us with all sorts of needs. They won't all have demonic situations that need dealing with, but some may. But what we desire is for God to equip us as a body of people, not just one or two, but we want to be equipped as a body of people to bring the life of Jesus and the freedom of Jesus and the hope of Jesus into whatever situation is presented. We don't want the testimony that's portrayed here of people saying they can't do anything. Now, of course, one has to take on realities that there are some situations that we are going to find extremely difficult to handle 
and we know in God's sovereignty that sometimes there can be an outcome that is far from the one that we desire. But what we must not lack is a desire to have a close walk with God, a discernment that the Holy Spirit brings, and a willingness to seek to respond whatever is going on around us. The man's cry, which uh, many of you will be very familiar with, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, is so powerful and so descriptive of where, uh, in different times and situations, perhaps all of us have been at, are at, or will be at. We kind of, Lord, we know you can do something, but we don't quite know how to handle this. We don't quite know how to address this. And there is that mixture of knowing what God can do, but not feeling particularly strong to address the situation and to speak with authority into it. But the disciples were rebuked because Jesus had given them authority. And Jesus had given them the opportunity to face situations even like this and to be able to speak truth and to speak his word and to see lives transformed. I know because of my pastoral experience I know how if you get this wrong you mess things up. You know pastorally you have to be very aware, you have to be very sensitive to people. I'm aware of say people with a very evangelistic heart who say, you know, God's going to do this and God's going to do that, and then when it doesn't happen, blame the person. You must be lacking in faith, there must be something wrong, and people have gone into a deep pit. We have got to handle things well, but we must not try and handle things so well that we talk ourselves out of ever believing that God can do a miracle and that God can change things. We want to be wise, we want to hear what God is saying, we don't want to raise false hopes, but we have a Saviour who is the same today as yesterday and will be the same tomorrow. The Jesus we have among us is the same Jesus who cleansed the leper, he's the same Jesus who gave sight to the blind, he's the same, we haven't got a different Jesus. We haven't got a somewhat sort of diluted form of the Jesus we read about in the scriptures. We have the same Jesus. So, what does Jesus say into this situation? Well, of course, the first thing is that he delivers the boy from the demonic spirit. And again, we recognize that Jesus had the discernment that that was the root of this issue. There may have been some epilepsy involved, certainly from my limited medical knowledge you can see something of an epileptic situation in this particular story. But Jesus sees that it's deeper than that. It's not just an illness, it's not just a physical disorder or a psychological disorder. Jesus clearly sees that this is something of a demonic situation that needs to be addressed. And again, one of the things that you notice in Jesus' ministry is that when he draws near to a situation and it is demonic, he doesn't have to speak first. The demon speaks. They know who he is. And they're very unsettled. That's what happened in the synagogue. You remember the story of the synagogue in Capernaum where Jesus enters the synagogue 
And he doesn't have to say, I think there's someone here who's troubled by a demonic spirit. He doesn't need to say that. Because the person sitting in the pew who is possessed of a demon can't help himself and cries out. And now I sincerely believe that we should be, it's not pie in the sky, it's a wishful thinking, but something of the holiness of Jesus in us, something of the power of Jesus in us, should cause people who have great need to be uncomfortable and to declare their need. It's very unfortunate. I have been in situations where people almost seem to be demon hunting. I've come across that and it's ridiculous. It's totally destructive. I remember some years ago being in a meeting, I think it was in London, and uh, someone was ministering and they were saying, devil this and devil that and devil the other. I thought the devil must be quite happy with this meeting because he's being mentioned so much. There's so much focus on him, he must be delighted. But that isn't what's happening here. The devil cries out, the devil within, the guy, the boy, and Jesus addresses it. And uh, I have been in a situation where there's been a demonic voice and it is pretty unsettling, I can tell you. And yet at the same time, Jesus has the victory. And by the way, that's not just in Africa. It can happen anywhere all over the world. But the key is not to concentrate on the demonic. The key is to concentrate that Jesus has victory. And he is not flawed by this, but he has the authority to deal with it. And therefore, I'm using, especially this evening, it's an opportunity to say, God's people, church, let's have great expectation of who the living God is and what he can do among us. Let it be measured, let it be wise, but as I've said, not so wise that we minimise, oh, well, God won't do that here. He might do that over there, but he's never going to do it here in answer that. What is the God that we serve? Who is he? He's the same God, that's what I've said. Alright, we move on from here to one of those private discussions. We know when uh, Jesus told the parable, the parable of the sea falling on the ground and all the different things, and uh, the disciples later inquired, Jesus, uh, that sounded great, but we don't actually understand what you're talking about. Would you help us? Would you give us an understanding? And, and in privacy, Jesus explains to them something of what was behind the parable of the sower, the seed being the word of God, and the different types of ground being people's hearts. Well, here's another moment where the disciples are gathering around and they're saying, Jesus, what, why couldn't we do it? What, what, was, what was wrong? What, why, why couldn't we see the victory in this young boy? And the reply is there in verse 29. Jesus says, this kind can only come out, can come out only by prayer. We don't have a lot of help, really, in fully understanding what's behind this. But as I have looked at it, it seems to me that there is an implication that there are levels of prayer. That there is superficial prayer almost. There is prayer that comes from the emotion. And there's plenty of that because we hear situations all the time that are very distressing. 
and out of our emotional response we pray, we call on God. But there is prayer that is holy and totally motivated, not by the flesh, not by just what we see, not by facts and figures and statistics, but there is a level of prayer that is motivated by the Holy Spirit revealing truth to us. And to get to that level, it's not necessarily so hard, we have to work in it. In the sense of taking time to really seek God. And one of the dangers is that when we see success at one level, we kind of think, well, this is it, this is how you do it. But it's never really like that. There's always a need for a fresh discernment. There's always a need for a, a, another look at the situation. To really say, Lord, what is happening here? I know what my eyes are seeing. My eyes are seeing a boy in great distress and trouble, but, but I need to see more than that. And even if I hear there's a demonic problem, I still need to know more than that. And deep calls to deep. And I do believe that sometimes we, we struggle. I struggle. It's ever so great and good when you pray, Lord, do this, and within next to no time it's done. And you think, well, that's good. But it's not always like that. It's not, well, you know that. You know that very well. It's not always like that. And we know that sometimes as we pray, God actually reveals things to us and shows things to us that otherwise we might miss. But I think the real key factor here is that what prayer is really all about is deepening our relationship with God. In that sense, what I'm saying now dovetails with what I said, well, at least what I think I said this morning. And that is looking for those close, intimate moments with God, those encounters with God, that really do change our lives. This kind comes out by prayer, and as I said, the Orthodox does that and fasting. In a way, it doesn't matter whether it's there or not, because fasting is one of the ways that you discipline yourself to spend more time waiting on God. It's not a little sort of arm twister, because you can never twist God's arm, whatever you do. But it's a way sometimes of giving that quality time to seeking the face of God. But Jesus is saying, I was disappointed because your faith was not sufficient. Where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And how do we hear the word of God? Well, sometimes it is by just meditating, dwelling, waiting on God in order to really perceive what he's saying. And therefore, you can apply this to all situations. We can certainly apply it to our desire to look for a, a new pastor. We, we want that deeper level. We want that uh, sense of discernment. We do need that. But there may well be other things as well that we are able to say with humility, Lord, we want to be in faith. We want to really look to you. And that's not to kind of look back and uh, beat ourselves and uh, what have you, that, that isn't, Jesus never has that attitude of uh, wanting his people to feel that they're being chastened and disciplined and uh, having a rod on their backs, but he does want to inspire us to go deeper and deeper and deeper.
That's a different matter. This kind comes out only by prayer. Not just a Lord help, but sometimes spending more time. I don't know about you, but uh, I think very much there are times when if there is silence, we can sometimes be a little bit, well, someone's going to pray in a minute, aren't they? Isn't there going to be someone breaking the silence? But maybe we need on occasions to be just open, be still and know that I am God. And God can do that sovereignly, corporately, in a meeting, and as often. But you know, one of the ways that God does that sort of thing, I believe in a meeting, is when it's happening in the individual life of the believers who come to the meeting. There are those times when God just dynamically, wonderfully breaks in to the corporate body of Christ. Wonderful. The day of Pentecost was classic. But sometimes the strength of what happens in the body is because each individual person has been seeking God themselves before they come, whatever they're coming to, a prayer meeting, a church meeting, any meeting. Sometimes the preparation is not just on the one who's bringing a message. But, uh, you know, we, we've gone off the idea, and maybe understandably, of coming into church and sitting quiet and waiting for the service to begin. I experienced that as a teenager going to church. That's how the service always started. Well, I'm not necessarily advocating that we come in and sit in sullen quietness. But at the same time, the principle was good. The principle was good. Before the first hymn is announced or song or whatever, I'm just going to say, Lord, here I am, prepare my heart. Maybe we've just got to find another way of doing it. But it's good to wait on God.